This time, we're taking a special look at the Cold War hunter fantasy, Predator. And along the way, we ask, is this peak Schwarzenegger? Is it a good thing ensemble action movies don't work anymore? And is this the ultimate movie fake-out? Stick around, because this is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a very special edition of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my friend and co-host... The infamous Sean Michael Culp, and... We have a special guest joining us today, a very good friend of mine, Mr. Phil Harms. Welcome to Force-Fed Sci-Fi, Phil. Thanks, guys. Big fan of the show. Love listening to it, especially on road trips. Always a good time. You flatter us. We are well. We're very excited to have you on this very special episode of Force Fed Sci Fi, where we're talking Predator. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> Bill. I think we were we were talking off air. I think between the two of us, we probably have watched this movie what like twenty times together or something. I think we're way over that. It's it, we've watched it a number of times, and I can nail the big quotes, but you can you can talk the movie <laughs> from beginning to end, every single word. It's amazing. And this was my first time watching this movie. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time I had ever, I think I saw Alien versus Predator, and then that was it. And then Prey. I saw Prey while I was getting a tattoo. Well, Alien versus Predator is a horrible introduction to this franchise. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel a little jealous. Like, that would be great to be watching this the first time and just see the shift that happens in the film, but... Awesome stuff. I was thinking they should have, when they made the film originally, not even had any mention of the aliens, so people just freak out, cut out the first scene where the ship goes by. Can you imagine what the crowds would look like in the theater where they're like, what am I watching? That's right. <laughs> well, I was watching this with my dad, and um, he said it was insane in the 80s when this came out. Like, no one had ever seen anything like this with this type of thing outside of aliens. And he said it just shocked the theater, like seeing all the dead bodies hanging and people were just terrified. Nightmare fuel. <laughs> nice. I believe it. I mean, it's it's not every day you find skinned bodies hanging upside down in a jungle. <laughs> no, I, that scared me, actually. I was like, what? Oh, my yep. God. So <laughs> yeah. nightmare fuel, my good sir. But, Chris, it's time to do the synopsis. Oh, uh, this is probably my favorite part of the show, actually. <laughs> When an elite group of special ops soldiers drop into the jungle on a mission, their objective turns to merely survive as they find they are being hunted from something not of this world. Wow. It gets more epic each time. <laughs> I do my best. I mean, the only thing I don't do to make it epic is adopt the movie trailer voice. <laughs> Coming soon on Force Fed Sci-Fi. <laughs> Which that guy doesn't do the thing anymore. Didn't he die? Yeah, he's dead. He's dead. That's why that they don't explain have... why he doesn't do it anymore, I guess. Why yeah. nobody does it anymore. <laughs> nobody does it anymore. Wait, so they're, you're telling me they're going to do a Darth Vader, right? They're going to do that for the rest of his, like, forever, but they can't do the movie trailer voice? <laughs> James we have Earl the movie Jones technology? is in a closet, so well... we're just recording lines of dialogue. <laughs> Reading the dictionary so they can string it all together. <laughs> George Lucas prodding him with something like, come on, we need the money, dreams, come on. You did this for me in 77, I need you now. Now say this happy, say this sad, be excited. God. Say Merry Christmas to Darth Vader voice, come on. 
<laughs> oh, God. I really hope there isn't a world where George Lucas is just holding James Earl Jones hostage in a closet to yeah. make <laughs> random quotes in Darth Vader voice. Right at the Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> we, we made a rescue. James Earl Jones is free. <laughs> uh, getting back to Predator, though. <laughs> it's it's This is a fun cast and crew in retrospect. Now, I think it starts with John McTiernan, the director, because... This was his first major movie. And after this, he goes on and does Die Hard and The Hunt for Red October. Like, if I had done these three movies, I would never make another movie again because I don't know how I'm going to top any of these. <laughs> Which you're not wrong. Those are excellent movies right out the gate. And I watched, uh, I watched Hunt for Red October recently, and it is it still holds up after all this time. It's such an amazing movie. Fantastic movie. And you, I pick up little idiosyncrasies every time I watch it of new things. Oh, that's why that guy did that thing, or that's what he meant by saying that it, every time. It's a brilliant movie. One of my favorite things with Red October is how it starts in Russian, I believe, but then just the subtle trick of them zooming in and out, it switches it, and you're like, holy crap, what a brilliant decision as a filmmaker. If John McTiernan has a trademark, it's making you think that you're watching a different movie and then totally flipping that on its head like at some point. As we see with this movie, yeah. Die Hard <laughs> and now Red October. Do you think Die Hard is going to be a fun, you know, family reconciliation Christmas movie? Then it's still a Christmas movie. It's just a hostage rescue movie after that. <laughs> Did we finally agree that it's a Christmas movie? You know, I will never get my, my future wife to agree on that with me as much as she says she does. I know she she will never say it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I'm throwing you under the bus again. <laughs> Jesus. So who else is in this? We have the director. We've also got Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yes. Probably, if you're going to make a Mount Rushmore of 80s action stars, I think two spots have to be safe for Schwarzenegger. Because just, that's just how present and how awesome he was in action movies in the 80s. I mean, Terminator, Conan the Barbarian, uh, I think Running Man came out in the 80s. It, yeah. yeah, and you have Predator. He was <laughs> the man. This, I think, cemented Schwarzenegger as an action star. If you were going to make an action movie with a big guy, your first go-to, your go-to actor was going to be Schwarzenegger. And if he wasn't available, maybe your fifth guy on the list was Sylvester Stallone. He set the precedent for awful acting, but somehow <laughs> people loved his films. He, he's not that bad of an actor. I feel like we have that conversation every time we talk about Schwarzenegger. <laughs> he has definitely gotten better with age. Yes. Because this film, I was like, whew. Especially the first half. Yeah. I was like, man. He's never going to win an Oscar, but like, man, you appreciate what he does every time. He tried. He did. He did. Thank God for Carl Weathers. Oh, I yeah. would say that it, man is fantastic. Who was actually brought in because Arnold's filmography up to that point wasn't very extensive and in commando he's basically a cartoon character one of the reasons why joel silver the producer of the film wanted to bring in carl weathers was so arnold could observe someone actually doing their acting craft and that really rubbed off a lot on him throughout the filming so huh interest fun fact <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun pairing to watch them because at some point because oh. you know at you know after the raid on the the compound schwarzenegger figures out you know exactly what carl weathers character was up to and you know he could have gotten his team in a position to be killed and there's really there's a respect between those two characters that you can feel a lot of history but there's also there's also some animosity between the two 
I mean, yeah. Carl Weathers just doesn't like Dutch because he doesn't, you know, isn't a realist in his position in the military. And Dutch doesn't like Dylan because, like, well, you sold your soul to the CIA. Yeah, he kind of quit on them, basically. So, yep. It is fun to watch them, too, you know, cavort around the jungle. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, I love Jesse Ventura, him just putting in dip. And just spitting all over people's boots <laughs> in his shrinking MTV shirt. Is it? Yes. If you notice, he gets off the helicopter with a full sleeves on it, and by the end, by the time we get to his demise, it is a tank top that is all cropped down. So it, the shirt disappears as the film goes on. I don't know, Jesse Ventura, like it, it, Blaine's character, does not strike me as the guy who you know wakes up early on a Saturday to you know, watch music videos on MTV. Because let's not forget, there's still a time when MTV's still throwing music, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he really doesn't. I actually didn't catch that, the MTV shirt. I don't know how. It's fun to watch them get off on the helicopter in the beginning. (laughs) You see (laughs) Bill Duke get off in dress pants and a suit. Like, are you coming from a wedding reception, dude? (laughs) Everyone else is wearing, like, uh, I think (laughs) Poncho's wearing something that's just like, Hey, I was hanging out, having a beer at home. They called me for this mission. Hawkins looked like he just came from the library. <laughs> yes. <laughs> those god-awful glasses. Uh, what do they call those in the military, Sean? Uh, birth control glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Nicely done. We can't say that anymore because that's mean. But <laughs> <laughs> What do you call them now if you don't call them that? We just call them glasses. Yeah. <laughs> and they've changed them dramatically. Because now they, they kind of look like yours. Oh, mine are at least stylish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but as we mentioned, we've got Bill Duke in this cast. Um, Elpidia Carrillo as Anna. Uh, Richard Chavez as Poncho, as we mentioned. Jesse Ventura. Future governor, Jesse Ventura. Sonny <laughs> <laughs> Landum as Billy. Uh, got Shane Black also in this movie as Hawkins. And then R.G. Armstrong as... Uh, it's General Phillips, kind of yeah. a kind of a fun little bookend that he has in this movie as as the general. And bringing in Shane Black as the idea was for the producer and director that they were going to use him for rewrites since he's such a talented writer and had done Lethal Weapon and things like that. And oh. when he refused, that led to his early demise in the film. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's why they killed him off. <laughs> he oh. wouldn't do rewrites, but he he tried to play it off as saying the script is perfect, so it doesn't need any changes. <laughs> But he did he did actually make some recommendations as they went that uh, they used, supposedly. But that's one of the things, like, one of the interesting things about this movie is there's so many stories about the making of the film that just whoever, whatever cast member's being interviewed, they're completely different. And so there's a certain mythology that surrounds this film because of where it was made and how it was made that just seems to keep growing as time goes on. I love that the original idea for this movie came from a joke that was circulating around Hollywood. Yes. After Rocky Forehead came out, the joke in Hollywood was that Rocky would then have to go fight a Martian in the next movie. That's hilarious. And sure enough, we didn't get Rocky, but we got the next best thing. Oh, we certainly got a throwdown, but yes. <laughs> definitely not a not not a Rocky movie, but this was I love that it suddenly became packaged into this super serious sci-fi action genre bender because then Schwarzenegger was the first actor that they approached to star in the movie and I mean and just researching for Predator it is amazing to read about and see just how much of Schwarzenegger's fingerprints are on this movie it's amazing he doesn't get a producer's credit 
Yeah, everyone in at least the documentary that I watched, they like had high praise for him. Like he was the man on the set. He was so funny. He was like the glue that binded everyone together. Just such a team player. So many people were like, oh, I could see why he's a governor. This guy should run for office. He's just so <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Epic foreshadowing. It's great. I mean, like he even came up with the idea because the original idea was to have Schwarzenegger and the Predator face off alone in the jungle. But then Schwarzenegger has the idea like, well, why does it have to just be me? Why can't it just be a group of commandos that were that were going in? And because of that, that leads to the casting of these big buff guys like Carl Weathers. Carl, here's the thing a lot of people don't know about Carl Weathers. He was actually a linebacker in the NFL before he got into acting. Jesse Ventura was a Navy SEAL. Like Bill Duke is like six foot four. These are all big, tall guys. <laughs> Sonny Landham did pornos before this movie. Wait, what? <laughs> are you serious? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's one I didn't know. There we go. <laughs> I didn't know that either. I just knew Jesse did uh WWF and then Carl Weathers from Rocky. Yeah. But that was it. But they were all cut. I mean, all of them were jacked out of their big guys yeah big guys except for uh hawkins yeah i think i well i think he was more of like a radio operator his character was in the movie so i think they were just kind of looking for somebody who was a bit bookish and like phil was saying they just wanted somebody cheap that they could have around to be a script doctor (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of funny because you'd still think like today that guys that are the paper pushers in the army are like skinny scrawny guys but you'd be shocked there's so many jack guys that just push papers you're like this is so confusing. Like you think you'd be out there in the freaking boots on the ground, but hey, you know, could deadlift six hundred pounds. Oh, what do you do in the army? I push papers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the rear with the gear. I'm a human resource specialist. <laughs> <laughs> Not hating on any of you guys. I love you all. No, no, no. What 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 the military does is very important. <laughs> all all levels, all logi- levels from the front from the front line guys to logistic guys. Everything everything you do is important. We don't mean to come across as like we're making fun of anybody. Especially Hawkins. <laughs> Considering he was the first one to get killed. Like, yeah. yes, we will make fun of him a little bit for that. Um, I loved how he tried so hard to make um, the one guy, Sonny, laugh. Yeah. He tried, like, so hard with those jokes. They finally did laugh. And I was like, I don't know if that's authentic or if he's, like, just being sarcastic. <laughs> you know, because it was such a delay. And I'm like, that's a laugh? I would have loved to have been in the casting room with Sonny Landham and the producers look at him and go, so, Laugh. give us your biggest full-throated laugh that you could ever want like imagine you're being tickled and watching robin williams at the same time ah 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 ah. i don't know what was worse his laugh or the predator's laugh at the end when he was that now like these are this movie is not good for the giggles (laughs) <laughs> Although Sonny, Billy's yeah. laugh comes from a place of like pure enjoyment, like the Vincent Price laughter that the Predator plays <laughs> at the end of the movie. That's from a place of like mocking terror is what that's coming from. It was utter confusion. Yeah. <laughs> like this alien sounds like that. <laughs> All right. Chalk it up to the 80s, baby. Well, and now we get to the like the interesting part of casting is that when you look at the Predator in the movie, it is a big person. It's Kevin Peter Hall. That's playing the Predator. And he was, he had become prominent. He had just finished a movie called Harry and the Andersons, which is a big part of my childhood, where he played the Sasquatch. He played Bigfoot. But he replaced 
Jean-Claude Van Damme as the original Predator. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things that for a long time people would say it, and you're like, is that an urban legend? Is that true? A- absolutely true, Jean-Claude Van Damme played uh, the Predator for a very short period of time. Now, there were two Predator costumes that were used, uh, or two different Predator designs, a total of four costumes, I guess. So the very first Predator was supposed to look more like a praying mantis insect kind of thing. Uh, it had backward bending reptilian legs was the description I read. Things that about it, it was very thin, long, kind of like a outer space ninja. And that's what Jean-Claude Van Damme was brought in to play. And... They couldn't make the costume work in a studio, so I don't know how they thought they would make it work in the jungle. But the first version of the suit is just bright red because that way they could cloak the suit with special effects. And so day one, Jean-Claude Van Damme shows up. His agent had pitched it to him that he's in this big budget film where he gets to fight Arnold Schwarzenegger hand to hand in the final battle shows up as all excited about it. You know, at the time the movie was called the hunter. So he's just like, Oh, I'm hunting Arnold Schwarzenegger. This will be great. And they put him in a suit and cover up his face and everything else. And he's like, this is terrible. I, nobody can see my face. Nobody will know it's me. And they're like, don't worry about it. This is going to be invisible. <laughs> so not only do they cover up his face, they completely blot him out of the thing. So there's multiple mythologies around why Jean-Claude Van Damme got fired from the film. Uh, multiple people say they were there and I witnessed him getting fired. And all of the accounts differ. Uh, some saying he quit. Some saying he destroyed the costume intentionally and was fired. Some say he kept passing out and was fired for passing out because it was very hot where they were and he's wearing a rubber suit. So a lot of interesting things. But you can, on YouTube and other places, look up footage of him wearing this red bipedal lobster looking thing harumphing through the trees <laughs> like the head bobs as he goes because it's this <laughs> long plastic neck it is hysterical so uh, after that one when he was fired at the same time they kind of looked at what they had filmed so far and they were like this does not work that's when they brought in uh, the special effects person to uh, Stan Winston came in and redesigned the monster completely uh, but there are a couple shots where Van Damme, uh, his filming stayed in. For example, when uh, the the forest comes alive and takes Shane Black as the first victim, that is actually Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, no way. Yeah. Sweet. So they still somehow kept him in. They kept him in. Another piece of mythology around it was that uh, at one point they tried to use a monkey to play the predator. <laughs> True also. Uh, They weren't going to use it for the entire film, but some of the shots of it swinging through the trees going through, they wanted to try to use a monkey, but the monkey would just climb a tree and take the suit off. (laughs) (laughs) I think the mythology I prescribe to is that when you look at the the cast of the the commando unit, you have Schwarzenegger, who's a big guy, Mm -hmm. Carl Weathers, big guy, Jesse Ventura, big guy, Bill Duke. Big guy. Jean-Claude Van Damme, 5'9". Not exactly intimidating when you're trying to kill a bunch of soldiers who are like six foot above, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then like, the suit, you know, he was on stilts and he couldn't really have control because the arms were longer than his hands. So it's just, I couldn't, 
It's a crazy suit. There was one part where they were like, okay, you're going to jump off of this and land. Yeah. And he goes, with this suit on, no way, I'll break my legs. And they're like, no, you got to do it. You're, you know, you're Jean-Claude Van Damme. You'll be fine. And he's like, no. So they're like, okay, throw a stunt man in the suit and show a stunt man jumps, breaks his legs. Yeah. <laughs> Told you. Yeah, exactly. And I quit. <laughs> or I'm fired. Who knows? And I quit. Yeah, but because, you know, JCVD has to, you know, is gone quit fired what whatever story you want to prescribe to you have now you get kevin peter hall in the suit and the movie is not at least the final climax is not the same you know because kevin peter hall was seven two. Oh, he's giant man towers over schwarzenegger that climax is not the same without kevin peter hall and i know he couldn't see in the mask either so he had to like memorize all the movements and like just try to rem- that's why when they fight each other it kind of looks a little, you know, like a guy that doesn't really see anyone. <laughs> He's just kind of blindly swinging. I which... believe that. I just love the shot where you just see the predator lean back and try, it's yeah. like a backhand Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Respect me. <laughs> I do love that scene, though, that he takes off the mask and he mm-hmm. breaks it down because it shows, you know, the, the predator, I guess not morals or ethics, but he's got standards. For how he fights, you know? It's yeah. almost like he's saying to Schwarzenegger, to saying to Dutch, like, you are worthy to see me in my final form, and you are worthy to take me on hand-to-hand. Granted, we, none of us knows how long this is going to last, but you're <laughs> worthy of doing it. So congratulations. You can see my mug, which is right. one ugly MF. Yes. <laughs> and that was also one of Jean-Claude Van Damme's original recommendations when he found out about the suit. Was at the end when he takes the mask off? The audience could actually see his face. It was Jean-Claude Van Damme underneath. <laughs> that How is epic a... would have been that event. Considering the quality <laughs> of movies Jean-Claude Van Damme has made, that does not shock me one bit. I can't fault it. He was doing everything he could to get his face in. He wanted this to film. get his face in, but like it took him what, like a couple more years after this to get into hard target or something? Yeah. <laughs> Surprise! It's me. <laughs> I, Dad, I do have to say credit though. For the face in the mandible, that is because of James Cameron. Because they yeah. brought in Stan Winston on recommendation of Arnold Schwarzenegger from The Terminator. Yes. Mm-hmm. To do like doodles and drawings for the costume. And he he was working on aliens at the time. Yeah. So even James Cameron has his, you know, influence, I guess you could almost say on this. <laughs> and I guess it took three or four different guys that would run the face of the predator to make the eyes move, the teeth move, everything. It was like a team of guys with their little remote control pads all doing different things with its face as it would operate. Hey, it took like eight people to work the Howard the Duck puppet. So like that's not surprising <laughs> at all. I'm not going to lie. I totally forgot about that movie until now. <laughs> I can't believe we talked about that stupid film. (laughs) But in addition, like all the nightmares with Jean-Claude Van Damme and redesigning the Predator suit because of Kevin Peter Hall filming looked to be like an absolute nightmare because they were on location in Mexico. Schwarzenegger had to totally change, like rework his personal life. He wrapped up his honeymoon before shooting started. And apparently everybody got crazy sick because water filtration is just not great down there. The only person who didn't get sick was John McTiernan because he's paranoid and insane. (laughs) An absolute genius for movies, but just freaking nuts. Um, And in addition to that, like there were there were freaking heat lamps in the jungle because they picked a really cold time of year to be shooting. 
like they were like in the final scene where Schwarzenegger is you know climbing out of the mud and is all wet. They were worried he was going to get hypothermia. They had heat lamps all around the place. So on top of it just being an awful shoot where people are getting sick, the temperatures fluctuating massively. The first half of the film to the second was very different because the first half was near Puerto Vallarta and it was extremely hot. It was so hot that all the leaves fell off of the trees. And so they had to bring in leaf guys that would just (laughs) sprinkle leaves everywhere for as they were walking through. But then the second half, after they made the costume change, they shot in a completely different part of Mexico. So one of the challenges they had for the first half when it was just blazing hot all the time uh, was the infrared vision that the Predator has. And the idea was, okay, we'll just film in an infrared and that'll be that part of the movie. It was so hot that the temperature of the jungle was the same as all of the actors. And so you would just get a red screen <laughs> and that was all you would get. And so what they did, they kept trying to find ways to make the infrared work. So at one point they actually lit fires around the set and would have the actors stand by these fires in 98 degree heat <laughs> trying to warm them up more. And then right before starting the scene, they would drive through the scene with a fire truck filled with chilled water and spray the forest and then have the actors run on and try to get shots of infrared to try to get a differentiation that would pick up. (laughs) Believe it or not, didn't work at all. (laughs) You don't say. Shocking. So, So they ended up having to just use special effects, which somebody took it back. They did it in the U.S., and then they came back and showed them the footage of it, and they were like, oh, I guess we don't have to use this. But it's interesting because since everything was the same temperature, the Predator actually wouldn't have been able to see, and when Dutch got covered in mud, that's when he would have gotten killed. <laughs> <laughs> but now you think of like the infrared vision, and that it's an iconic part of this movie. Oh, absolutely. And it's an iconic part of the series overall. Like I mean and it's so rare in a movie like this where you actually you can literally look through the point of view of the adversary. Yes. Like that that's that's like movies just don't do that anymore. It, and especially when you haven't even seen the predator yet and it starts showing you start seeing what it's seeing and you're like what is this? It's very nicely done how they gradually introduce it. <laughs> Uh, I think we also have to talk about how they made the Predator blood. Oh, yeah, the glow <laughs> sticks. Oh, yeah. The KY jelly. Mm-hmm. Oh, Famously, yeah. that they could not figure out, but the thing is, like, the, the that mixture would just dry out really rapidly. So it was the same thing with the infrared. <laughs> like, you had to move quick, otherwise you weren't going to get what you needed. And I think we also have to mention the soundtrack as well, composed by Alan Silvestri, who was hot off of Back to the Future. And it's a it's a great sound like every single movie movie in this series has tried to replicate this soundtrack in some way. I'm not gonna lie to you, Chris. You don't care about that. <laughs> I was thinking about it last night. I'm like, man, Chris is probably gonna say something about the soundtrack, and I did not even think about it while I listened to it. <laughs> I'm a so big I'm fan sorry. of the soundtrack. Like, I can... It's very recognizable, and even there's it, there's a Family Guy episode where Peter Griffin kind of sits there and. <laughs> and that makes me laugh every time well, i think now i think you know we've covered a lot of the special effects you know the mythology behind making predator i think it's finally time to get into actually discussing the movie because there's a lot of fun things to actually talk about 
when you take a really critical look at this movie and i think it's important to examine you know the political timeline when this movie came out because the first act of this movie is set up if you know nothing about this movie going in it is set up to be almost like a, a copy and paste knockoff of a every other cold war action flick that's that came before it looks like a like a sequel to commando if you know nothing about it going into it never saw it <laughs> <laughs> i just know that on uh jimmy fallon stallone said he made rambo and then schwarzenegger made commando <laughs> during their big beef in the 80s so great <laughs> is it a good movie chris it is it is all kinds of. It is <laughs> You're shaking your head. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is what it wants to be, but it does not want to be a good movie. <laughs> think of it as like the last action hero version of all kinds of, of like the solo action movie. All right. It knows ex- like Phil saying. It knows exactly what it wants to be. It is all kinds of eighty schlock turned up to eleven with an injection of schlock steroids into it. <laughs> yeah, the, the movie, the opening scene, he's out cutting down firewood for his cabin in the woods and is literally carrying an entire tree on his shoulder. And you're instantly like, now I know what this movie is going to be. <laughs> and yet is able to afford like a 4,000 square foot log cabin in the middle of nowhere on a Green Beret salary. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wait to watch it. But I mean, like there's, I mean, this this is a group of soldiers in Predator who are t- they've been together a long time. They, it's, it's obvious they've worked together for some time. They mentioned about working together in Da Nang in Afghanistan. And we got to talk about that for a second because, I mean, you, let's not forget, in 1987, this is in the middle of the Soviet-Afghan war that raged for 10 years. It would only wrap up in 1989. The U.S. ran a proxy war against the Soviet Union. So you mean to tell me that there were American boots on the ground in Afghanistan at a time where if they were caught or captured, like it would have been World War Three. Like that like let's yeah. let's talk about just how dangerous of a situation that would have been on its own. <laughs> and there was just there was such a fear during the Reagan administration that the next communist uprising was going to be from Central America, that they totally ignored everything that was going on in the Middle East. And because of that, that fear directly read, led to the Iran Contra scandal. Like I don't call it the Iran-Contra affair. It was a scandal, like because President Reagan was nearly <laughs> impeached and brought up on criminal charges for what happened. Let's not forget about that. And on top of that, there's this crypto CIA involvement in lying to people about, hey, let's just go into, oh, it's a rescue mission. No, we need to blow some stuff up. That's what's happening. <laughs> it's like the CIA accidentally like pointing at Cambodia and saying, like, oh, Go here. Like, do you mean not Cambodia? Oh, yeah. Just go right here <laughs> near the border. And if you happen to go into Cambodia, it's all good. We'll cover it up. <laughs> hey, we got Henry Kissinger in the White House. It's all going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. According to the map, you are not in Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they had GPS during the Vietnam War, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, you were lucky if you were on the right road to anywhere back then. <laughs> I meant to go to Chicago, but somehow in Nebraska. <laughs> How'd this happen? (laughs) Damn you, Rand McNally. (laughs) It's just, I think it's fun to look at when this movie came out and how the first act of this movie is set up to be this intense Cold War action set piece. And as we were talking off air, uh, times two, it looks like a really long episode of the (laughs) A-Team. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the... uh 
second unit director who was responsible for a lot of the filming of the beginning of the movie and the raid on the compound, we'll call it, uh, was the stunt director for a team and even directed some of the episodes as well. So you see a lot of pieces reminiscent of the a team, uh, when they blow up the watchtower and as the guys fall out, they kind of fall up the screen because of the way the angle is, they use that in a team all the time. And that's one of the filming things was Joel Silver believed that's the way that action should movies should be shot is the camera static in one place and all the activity takes place on screen people running around uh and then the second half is what john mctiernan wanted to do was a new style of filming action where the camera moves with the character and the character is always in the center of the frame and that was a compromise he had to make was joel silver's oh we're making this this action war movie it's gonna be great it's beautiful he loves the first half of it and John McTiernan's like yeah but now we're gonna do my thing brought in a film crew from Australia that was working on this new style and so not only does the whole tone of the film change even the way it's filmed changes significantly uh, from the first act to the second yeah you could say the first act is like in the perspective of the army and then those guys and then the second half is the Predator's perspective, just how it's shot. It's creeping. And even as an audience member, I think you're like with them on the journey in the second half. Whereas the first half, things are just like happening. You're kind of watching, but you don't, I didn't feel as like included. I didn't have as much anxiety in the first half like I did in the second half. The first half, everything kind of goes according to plan too. So you get to see the more, the bigger view of everything. And then the second is a lot more immersive where you're right there in it with them. Not everything's fully explained as it's happening. You're just encountering these things that happen as they're encountering them. Like we were having fun listening to Long Tall Sally on the helicopter, and then we have to find all these dead bodies <laughs> strung up in the jungle. Yep. Skinned alive. Oh, God. <laughs> that scene actually kind of scared me because it was just so um, unexpected. I just didn't know what to expect with this movie. And then when he pulls back the curtain and you just see this... These dead skin bodies hang upside down. Well, it's not just one body that Billy finds up there. It is a whole squad of Green Berets that apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger knew, the Dutch do. Yeah, and it's just, it's so jarring, I would say, just to see, because I've actually, I've never seen anything like that. And you still, you don't, it doesn't connect for you that it could be the, the alien that's doing this. They because it. we're far enough into the plot of the movie at this point, or at least starting off, that we totally forgot about the very beginning where this right. mothership dropped off some kind of pot in the middle of the jungle. Yeah, you're just thinking these gorillas that they're hunting are <laughs> some real bad dudes. It would, it's interesting that they included the ship at the beginning, you know, because I wonder how this movie would be if they didn't like have the initial ship, you know, drop the pot off. And because it's almost like I think it would have even more mystery. It would. And it's interesting. I was reading during one of the anniversaries of Predator, one of the articles, I think it was Hollywood Reporter. Um, I don't remember. Actually sat down and watched the movie with John McTiernan, just conversed with him about it. He forgot that scene was in it at the beginning (laughs) because that was all done in post-production and Joel Silver signed off on it. He didn't even remember it was there. So he thought it was a surprise when (laughs) the movie turned alien on you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it would help the film even better. I mean, it's a good film already, but that would just make even more. It would, yeah, really make the extra surprise. Apparently, 
Joel Silver wanted to show the interior of the Predator ship, things like that. And those are things John McTiernan fought against doing because he wanted to keep you present with the military company. And so a lot of things that Joel suggested and John fought about made their way into Predator 2. And so I guess we know who made better decisions about <laughs> making a quality film. I mean, in something like that, you have to prescribe to the idea that less is more. And I think Materia was absolutely right. And I think that also, too, applies to when... Because really, like, the only actual glimpse we get of the Predator before the suit malfunctions is that monstrous hand that re- reaches out for the dead scorpion. Mm-hmm. It's like, And then the, you get the horn blast. It's like, oh, wow, what the hell is this? What is this movie about to turn into real scorpion by the way really really but they did it in one take so they only killed one that's their justification (laughs) (laughs) i don't know chris i i still would have appreciated at the end of this having credits roll with the alien just dancing and then have the whole cast and crew jump in and start dancing. You want like you want like a little like, you want like a little like Groot action or something. Yeah, like Guardians of the Galaxy. Just yeah. everybody just start grooting or, and doing like the Macarena or something. Yeah, the end was. I mean, they intentionally did that as kind of a pickup. And hey, we get to see the team one more time because they did recognize it's a downer of an ending when <laughs> Dutch is it. He's the lone survivor. That's it. They're done. Yeah, it's a pretty. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's like a dark movie, but it's just like a, wow. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. sad. Yeah, you think you're back just... on it, and you're always like, oh, there's so much action. It's so much fun. But when you think back on it, you're like, one dude made it. Yeah. You just see Schwarzenegger on that helicopter, just He's... like with that thousand-yard stare, and like, dude, you've been through some stuff. Yeah. You okay? You want a hug? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, I know you're all like bleeding, and you're sweaty, but like, you look like you need a hug. <laughs> He's been through hell. Yeah. And and we've talked about how this movie was filmed on location, but I am just amazed at how slick it looks, how every scene is framed. And I think the easy thing to do at the time would have been to use a lot of steady cam, a lot of handheld stuff, but they did not do that for this movie. They built tracks in the jungle. Every shot is well choreographed and everyone looks like they hit their marks and like it's the jungle. It's the force. You can't put little tape marks down for for the actors to know where to stand. You have to rehearse this so you know where to go, you know what to look at, and you know what to do. Yeah, you talk to any directors that have filmed in the jungle. Uh, Apocalypse Now is notoriously a nightmare because of the jungle shooting that they did. It is extremely difficult to shoot on location. And this movie makes it look effortless to the point where you believe... They're not really there. It's mm-hmm. it's incredible. People would say, oh, this was shot in New Hampshire. Uh, film critics would watch it. Oh, it's easy to tell that these were some parts are soundstage. It was all done on site. It's amazing. That's what I thought. The whole ending where he fights the alien. I'm like, oh, this has to be a soundstage because of all the smoke, explosions. I'm like, there's no way. It's It looks too good. You yeah. Know? But it's it was all in the jungle. From my understanding, it was. I haven't I haven't heard anybody say otherwise. There, like the shooting the helicopters. Obviously, they had the helicopter against a green screen, things like that. They weren't trying to film inside a helicopter with the doors open as they were flying above the jungle. Well, even the the climax. I don't know where you're going to find a soundstage that big to build something like that. Yeah, yeah, because it's just it is incredible. It it lends so much credibility to this plot. I mean. I mean, I get it. You have to have some level of suspension of disbelief for this, but 
that final fight between Dutch and the Predator where it's shooting its plasma cannons into the trees and you see all these sparks emitting and bombs and smoke and it's just, oh my God, this is gorgeous. Yeah, 4th of July with the silhouette of the massive Predator standing on the log bridge is frameable. (laughs) (laughs) Agree. The second half of the film, in my opinion, had some of the best shots. The first half was okay, them flying through. The in the helicopters, I thought that was kind of cool, but the second half really like top notch. <laughs> like Phil, you were saying, like everyone is framed like dead center and everyone yeah. is framed and shot gorgeously. Like, I think, I think Bill Duke like steals a lot of scenes in that in the second and third acts, especially after after Blaine is killed and you know he's he's taken watch. And he has that lament to Blaine, and he's just the moonlight is on him, and he turns around. You see the moon, I think, in that shot, and it is—it's a gorgeous-looking shot. They're great shots, and yeah, it, talk about a character coming to life and just watching the unraveling happen is really well. I mean, it's too well done for an action movie. It is so well done. You connect so much with the character, and when he finally runs off after the predator, you're like, "That's it. He's done." <laughs> See, I think, I, I mean, if I had to, if, I mean, if we're going to build like the backstory of this commander group, I want to think that uh, that Mac and Blaine were among the original group with Dutch because they have some serious history together. I think it, it sounds like Mac's even talking about some some battle that they had in Vietnam where it was just the two of just them. The, yeah, it seems they were with a different unit uh, or other organization at some point and they were the sole survivors of different things they were the ones that would walk out so they have a history before this team yeah. so you got to think that these guys have been fighting together and have been friends for like over 20 years like and it's yeah. like it you can bill duke does not get enough credit for this movie but you can just feel his sadness and his grief and it is oof it is it is a it is like a big bowl of gravy just yeah. he pours it on and and I don't mean like pours it on in a bad way but you you feel his grief when he's talking with Dutch when he's trying to pr- fulfill his duties as a soldier he's trying so hard to just move forward but it's like how do you move forward you just saw one of your best friends you know, get shot in the chest by a weapon you've never seen before by an enemy that you can't see yeah what do you do about that yeah it's really well done when you think about it just that whole relationship between the two is really well done where they don't oversell it at the beginning of the film you know they're sitting in different spots on the helicopter stuff like that it'd be the same as if you're with a group of guys but one of the guys in the group is your best friend sometimes you're talking to other people but here and there they just have little cuts where it's just the two of them in the jungle sharing the flask or whatever really nicely done I think I think it's appropriate time to talk about this commando unit as a whole. I mean, because we've talked about yes. Blaine and Mac together, and Sean, yeah. you can certainly <laughs> shed some light onto this. Like, yes, it's fun. It's fun to watch <laughs> the things that they do as a group. But man, they do not work well together. <laughs> if this were a real unit, they would not work well together. <laughs> I mean, this whole movie, when I. Uh... When they got into the jungle and then started their assault on the village, I knew it was it was over. 
because like just their <laughs> firearms alone, like just holding them down at the waist, and just, <laughs> like and you wouldn't hit anything. Like how are you able to? Here's shoot? the thing: you only shoot like that in the '80s. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's not use our sights. Let's just yeah. spray and, and pray. I love how after they kill everyone on board the helicopter, yes. they blow it up anyway. I know. <laughs> it's so dumb. I mean, it's it's laughably bad. But it's the '80s schlock, so I, so you know, I gave it. Especially once they brought out the um, the Gatling gun. Ooh, I was, you know, that weapon was so sexy. But in real life, that is mounted, and you don't there's carry. No, there's no that way. That is not a handheld weapon. About that, you yeah. can't not. You can't shoot. I mean, maybe you could aim. They actually there's no way. They actually slowed that down. I think to like a third of the normal speed. Really? Because it, when it's it moves too fast to be picked up on camera. If you watch one of those bad boys in action, like it is just, it is just a steady stream of lead and death that comes out of it, but it moves too fast to be picked up. They had to slow it down just to pick up the rotation of the barrels. And the sound, I mean, it, that's iconic in and of itself because what I've heard a lot from people with this movie is they talk about the Gatling gun. Oh, yeah. When Blaine's oh, yeah. shooting it, just like the sound. The visuals of it. I mean, it's it's a sexy weapon. It's just those are some some of my favorite lines in the movie. Time to let old painless out of the bag, and you just mm-hmm. see him cocky and go payback time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so apparently the gun, whenever Jesse Ventura would carry it, was not loaded, had nothing else, and that was all he could carry. Now to get the gun to actually run took a hundred pounds of truck batteries that would always be sitting behind the actor on the ground somewhere to be wired into the gun for it to operate. And reasonably their estimate is that the most anybody could carry is six seconds worth of ammunition. (laughs) Anything more. So uh, anything more than that would be a lot of ammunition. They actually said the shell casings would, the amount that were fired in the film, the shell casings would actually bury the person operating the weapon. Which is now knowing that and watching the whole expend all ordnance scene. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's easily the it's the best of it's the best scene of that kind in any yes. movie, I think. Well, it because is. he starts, he chases after him and he starts going to town at nothing, mm-hmm. you know. And then all of a sudden you see Schwarzenegger walk up and then he just starts shooting at nothing. And then everyone gets together and they just start shooting at nothing. And I'm like, everyone has grenade launchers. Like Schwarzenegger's got that M203. Poncho has that grenade launcher. Like, oh my good God. I'm just laughing my butt off because I'm like, in no world would you ever go and just let's waste all of our ammunition. Well, and also too, weren't they trying to outrun commandos? Like they just found all of you. (laughs) My theory is that all the people chasing them just heard that and were we're like, and we're out. We're yeah. just going to yeah. go home. We're going to leave them to it. They're so, shooting at nothing. We're just going to go. We're, we're done. They're clearly drunk. We're leaving. So uh, the expend all ordinance scene I find very interesting. So that was something that Joel Silver kept pushing for was we need more guns. We need more shootings, things like this. So John McTiernan set this up and calls it his gun porn scene is what he calls it. And in one of his uh, interviews, he talks about he, he actually does not like guns. He is an anti-gun person. He thinks that he doesn't like them. And so the whole point of the scene in his mind is to show the impotence of firearms huh. because he turns the guns basically into glorified weed whackers. Yeah. And the first thing that said after that scene closes is we hit nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's showing the ineffectiveness of the weaponry. And so... 
it's a way that he was trying to be a subversive filmmaker. Now, everybody takes it differently where they're like, oh, that's the most amazing scene of all times. And it's a lot of fun to watch. He does the same thing again later in Die Hard when the terrorists shoot out all of the glass that the room John McClane is in. So this gun porn scene becomes something that John kind of created, but he created it because he wanted to show... It, it, as the quote says, the impotence of guns. And so in both of those scenes where you think there's just ordinance everywhere, no one's actually getting hit. They're not accomplishing what they're trying to do. Without knowing that, I would have thought that that's a scene ripped right out of John Milius's mind. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> and, and so it was one. And so to shoot that scene, I think, was the trade off that he didn't have to show inside the Predator spaceships. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I had those same feelings like how I'm like, this is just like a waste of ammunition. It's so that's not what you do. But yeah. my dad next to me, he was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. My dad loved that scene, too. <laughs> just like, no, no, this would not happen. You would never do this. Well, it's subversive <laughs> in a lot of ways. I mean, because yeah. when you look at like in, when you look at the year before 1986, there was a big pillar of the sci fi action genre that came out aliens. And in a lot of ways, that subverted a lot of the tropes that became common with the genre, both with science fiction and action. And you could also make the argument that Predator is exactly the same movie as Aliens. You certainly can. I'm not going to deny that for one second. But in a lot of ways, I think that Predator subverts a lot of the things that Aliens helped to establish. Like, you don't see that big gun porn scene in Aliens. You see Ripley loading up with that power loader and taking on the alien queen. Like you don't get, you don't get these fun, subversive sequences in Aliens. Everything on screen has a purpose. Whereas with Predator, if it's on there, it's usually designed to subvert your expectations or make or have you believe that you are in a different movie. And stepping back real quick to the military unit as a whole is, so we've got Billy as a tracker, which I know Chris, you have a couple thoughts on. Is there any role like that that exists anymore? Do do people find footprints around a firefight thing? Because he goes full into tracking, he's able almost to figure out almost what kind of army boots kind there of are. thing where he's. There's no footprints around it. It's like they were shooting at nothing. He he follows. It, there's there's military style issue boots, things like that. It he get, really gets into that. You can get into that more or less. It's like Cav Scouts that do that type of stuff. Okay. Styles of like a scout more or less is like targeting, like mapping out where you're gonna hit, where you're gonna target. It's less about like tracking people down because we have like technology now. Yeah, so as Chris said, there wasn't there wasn't GPS back then. No. They had Billy. <laughs> That's a very dangerous role, though. Like yes. I, I would think that most of what you're being taught is just like how to evade capture. And they do have like you know special forces. I'm trained in that type of business. That's like school, 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 school. You got to be in specialized. This is. This is certainly like a fun commando unit, but I yes. could not figure out like the command structure of anything. So that was my biggest. All right. So that was my biggest gripe. So, you know, because <laughs> Duke was the boss Dutch or Dutch was the boss. He was the he was a major. And there's just a lot of people that were not following his orders. And I'm like, that doesn't happen. Like, especially when an officer gives an orders, like you're not going to be bickering and arguing and like trying to desert. Well, your officer isn't even going to be in the field for something like this. Maybe, maybe, but 
well, the general is not going to be there collecting you up at the end. <laughs> but I mean, there there are so many times where they're arguing, especially with uh, Carl Weathers' character. I think Dylan. Yeah. And you know, uh, Dutch was like, "You lied to us. You didn't tell us." Which that doesn't happen because when you get orders out of missions, especially when you're doing something like this and it's like a small group, you're going to know every single detail. It's going to be meticulously planned out to the T. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be like. What? You did the one over on us. No, no. <laughs> well, because that, that could get people killed. That is garbage leadership that does not happen, especially in something like this. Um, if that happens, then that's people need to know above your pay grade, and you're not going to know or find out because you're there to execute the mission, and everyone's on point. But I could not, I just couldn't figure out how this unit is structured because we learn Dutch's rank. We learn Mac is a sergeant because, yeah, because, I mean, he has to this Dutch even has to like call him out like, Hey, get your head in the game, Sergeant. Um, but then I couldn't figure out like, what's everybody else's role on this team? Like Hawkins is clearly the communications specialist. What's Ponch's job. What's Billy's job is to be the native American tracker. Apparently, yeah, apparently which was stereotypical, yeah. very stereotypical. Ponch is demolition. And Jesse is the, big, carries the big gun. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse yeah. Ventura is the pack horse. All right. He <laughs> He's the pack animal. He's the heavy machinery. But then, uh, Carl Weathers, his character, I was like, I guess in real life, you would not be Carl Weathers would not be on this mission. No, he would be the if he gave them the orders of like everything, he's briefing them. So it would be Mm -hmm. Dutch that would be pioneering everything. Yeah. And even where the team reports into, because at the beginning, it talks about Dutch had he turned down missions. You get to do that. (laughs) I don't think you get to do that as a special forces person. like. Carl Weathers says something about why didn't you take XYZ? We're not assassins. So you get to say no? Yeah, apparently in this military, you get to say no. It's a scene, I think, that's designed to to signal to the audience that this group has a moral compass, that they're not just a mindless killing machine. It's like, yeah, it's nice. It just doesn't exist. I did like, though, how they planned out um, different moments in the film, like how they're deciding how they're going to salt like the compound that was pretty cool because that is a real life thing you know because you're Mm going to come in contact with different variables in your mission that doesn't you know that maybe you weren't expecting and so like having a brief sit down you take a knee and you draw out the base and figure out how you're gonna that's normal and so i did like that i was like all right that's real (laughs) and then they used the classic exploding truck yeah yes that (laughs) approach that is yeah typical strategy that's the first thing they teach you in basic training (laughs) how to explode a truck and do a compound. <laughs> 80s schlock. It's oh, truck day. You know, <laughs> you know, in watching this in, in retrospect, like I will admit there is a thick amount of schlock yes. in that first act. There really is. Like, th- but this is a movie that's definitely a product of, the, of its time. Yeah. And I feel like they kind of it was a bit of little wink in it where they know that what they're doing with uh, the arm wrestling at the beginning and pushing pencils. They can it's the kind of scene where you roll your eyes, but you also cheer. And I think they embraced that very well. They set the standard. You (laughs) knew what you were getting yourself into. I appreciate a movie that steers into the skid. And that's what Predator does consistently in that first act. I mean, like. I mean, I just learned this phrase, cringeflation, like especially with, you know, uh, Hawkins's joke and Blaine's language in the helicopter like that. Like now, 
almost what 25 35 years after it came out you're like yeah those those <laughs> lines of dialogues in that scene doesn't age especially well <laughs> and i had to, like this is supposed to be like the ultra macho representation like you have white yes. guys you have black guys you have native american guys you have a hispanic man like this is supposed to be like who we imagine at least in the late 80s in terms of our pictures of hyper masculinity arnold named the crew his his crew of manly men so (laughs) somebody claimed he coined that phrase in the making of this film i have to believe it's been around longer than that but i even heard they they uh would work out at the gym and see whose biceps were bigger like arnold and jesse ventura would have contests yeah the the measurement joke that they did where uh he had a the people for the costumes change his so that jesse thought his arms were bigger oh yes <laughs> yeah th- so they if you want to take it chris or um... what well it, it, it's so funny like reading stories like that because there's also a a story about carl weathers who believing that his physique was god-given and so he didn't believe he quote-unquote didn't believe in working out but you only get a body like that from working out so while everybody would else would go to the weight room at like four in the morning carl weathers would get in the weight room at like two in the morning and work out <laughs> and he was just exhausted at the end of this shoot but yeah like that that's the famous story that phil was mentioning was that he got the costume designer to mess with jesse ventura so when they did the actual measurement the contest to use biceps were bigger schwarzenegger won so jesse ventura had to buy everybody a, a case of champagne oh wow yeah so when they when they initially measured them Arnold told the costume design people, take a couple inches off. And so when Jesse Ventura goes in and gets measured, he sees the other measurements and he's like, oh, my arms are bigger than Arnold. So he started in and it worked out. Arnold knew that's what was going to happen. So Jesse started talking trash. And so one day they did a live measure off and they had bet a case of champagne on it. (laughs) Schwarzenegger just seems like a fun guy to hang out with. Doesn't he? He He is. He got Carl Weathers to smoke cigars. He got him smoking cigars. Carl Weathers said he never smoked, never drank anything. And Arnold got him smoking on this movie. (laughs) He just seems like such a fun guy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So much fun. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this this is a this is a really fun group of soldiers, I would say, like in spite of their flaws, in spite of the problematic language, like this is it is a well it is a cohesive unit. They know what they're doing. They've worked together before. And it's just it's they're very likable. And it's kind of sad. It is sad to see them get murked in such brutal ways. Like, especially Billy. Like, Billy, I think, it's the most gruesome death of them all. I mean, he gets the poor guy gets his spine ripped out and is swung around like a mace, for God's sake. <laughs> that one's interesting. You talk definitely. about nightmare fuel. That's a scene right there. <laughs> I thought that scene was pretty funny, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, I did like the collection of the skulls. Mm. I thought that was pretty cool. I kept the trophy. Though I did think with Duke, I was like, that was my one gripe with the filming because it showed like his head was blown off or a hole through his haze. Mm -hmm. But then when they showed him, he didn't have a hole. But then when when they went back to the skull, it had a little hole drilled in. uh, But then Ventura, when he got blasted, he had this giant caved-in chest. It's like, wait, how does the blaster work on this thing? Uh, the blaster does seem a little inconsistent yeah one of the kills we talked about before was uh we've actually coined the phrase getting punched or you got punched where uh the the part where he screams i can make it 
and really is basically his way of saying, don't leave me here to get killed mm-hmm. by this monster. But whenever one of us experiences a spectacular failure, <laughs> you just have to yell, I got her. I can make it. And can the other it. one just says, you, you got punched. It's kind of like getting matumboed, but yeah. you get punched. With... It, mostly what we say when we're throwing axes. So. <laughs> <laughs> To though, uh, to that with him, like them carrying him when they're escaping the predator, I did think with the, uh, I guess the evacuation, how they're calling the chopper, <laughs> how it was like twelve miles away from the site. That I did not believe. Yeah, and <laughs> that's not real. Like, there's no way. Like, especially in that situation where, well, also where they did, where they had hostages. But they blew up the compound first, and that was like, oh yeah. Well, how does how does Anna know where to go? <laughs> yes, exactly. How does she know where to go? Everyone else is dead. But also, why is the evac point like fifteen miles from where the village was? Because like, what if yeah. you have casualties? What if guys are getting injured? What are you gonna do? Carry them fifteen miles? No, they're <laughs> literal dead weight. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. I just want to know if the writers liked the way that Arnold's accent was that they <laughs> added chopper and hopper into the movie because <laughs> <laughs> He was probably just looking at him like, you bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Hoppa. I like the way he said that. Let's make him say chopper now. You know what's going to come out is get to the chopper. <laughs> I'm not going to say chopper. <laughs> First run through the script, every word ends in ER. <laughs> what the hell is this, guys? <laughs> he had some fantastic. This movie was riddled with uh, great quotes. Oh my God! Yes. I got no time to bleed. Oh, <laughs> classic! And the stick around, yes, absolutely. Stick around is probably my favorite one <laughs> out of out of every single one that's uttered. Uh, but I think the one that always stands out to people, and it's one that's kind of like lived on in other iterations in the franchise, is "If it bleeds, we can kill it." Mm-hmm. Yes, that's such a badass line. Oh yeah. <laughs> Is when she tells him, like, you must have wounded it. Like, if it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> and then they start putting together all the Boy Scout stuff <laughs> with the traps and the and the lashings, and it still doesn't work. <laughs> well, they, they catch it in they the did. net. They and did. every time I watch that, I and the net goes up, I'm like, start shooting! And yes. they all just stand there staring. The Predator gets its wits and starts shooting before they do, but... Like then again, you did just catch a giant invisible alien. I don't know. Maybe they're all thinking like, hey, we can catch this Holy and cow. sell it. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what their mission was? There's tabloids that want pictures of this. <laughs> oh, my God. This, uh, this film is just fantastic. I loved all the time that they spent making the booby traps. Mm-hmm. I love the ending where Arnold makes the little booby trap. But the guy oh, doesn't yeah. believe. Kill me! Kill me! Can we can we spend some time talking about that final fight between oh, Dutch and the Predator? We have to. It's I like when that primal when the music cuts out and Schwarzenegger lets out that primal scream. Uh, you know it's on. Like you get tinglings. <laughs> yeah. I so that fight was totally new to me. Uh, for some reason in my brain, I thought he dove into like a mud pile 
And then for some how he blows up the predator. And then that's the end of the movie in my brain. That was how this movie ends. So when that doesn't happen, I was like, Oh, this is totally different than I expected. I think it's interesting to watch the lead up to that fight where you see Dutch just lock in, knows what he has to do and gets himself ready. He's putting on the mud. Like it's war paint. He's getting his, that big, that big ass bow ready. That apparently shoots fun. arrows right through tree trunks. <laughs> Builds a massive fire, but then you see the predator, not really doing the same, but like collecting trophies, like almost like allowing arrogance to creep in and kind of taking his taking his eye off the ball for a second. Like Dutch is recognizing his mission isn't done. Like his mission is to kill this thing. Whereas the predator is just like, I can, like, there's nothing left for me to do. I'm going to look at my trophies, my collection of skulls and bones. All right. <laughs> what did they do with the skulls? That was like my question. Did they send them back to the mothership to be like, ha ha, I killed more than you? Yeah, I feel like he was on safari kind of. So it's almost like a vacation for the predator, right? And, and the predator does seem very brutish in that final fight, but... It obviously has to be extremely intelligent, possibly more intelligent than anyone down here because they've got the advanced technology. They have everything else. So it, it is interesting. But I, I I take it as he was on vacation mm-hmm. on a safari. Well, on as, a safari. <laughs> well, as we learn from Anna and in the, uh, you know, another installment in the franchise, like these these things occasionally do come to Earth, hone their skills and evolve their technology and their tactics so you have to think like that this is, I mean, as Anna mentioned, like this is not its first sojourn into this region or maybe it's a different one or. Yeah, it could be multiple predators. And it seems it, it, they do seem throughout it that they say heat attracts it to the area because mm-hmm. she talks about how hot the summer was. They talk about that in the second one as well. Oh. Uh, it's a ground or a record breaking heat wave. Yeah. So. Maybe they're just very cold blooded. <laughs> it's an interesting tidbit, like, and it's a, it's a tiny bit of it's the tiniest bit of world building that we get in this movie, where it's it, it this is you, it's obvious that this is not the uh, predator's first journey to this region of the world, and it's probably it's honed its tactics really well. It has the blades, it has the plasma cannon, the cloaking, the infrared, and it's just wreaking havoc, and. I think the only way, like, and we learned that the bullets don't work, the traps don't work, and the only thing that was going to work is just a final man on Alien showdown. Oh, yeah. And maybe, because I thought it was just a rich billionaire alien from another planet just coming to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Which was why his fighting skills was so lousy. He's like, crap! <laughs> <laughs> he got me. He got me bested. So you're saying like the Predator is like the Don Jr., the extraterrestrial version of Don Jr. posing with some endangered ram that he's just innocently killed? I'm thinking (laughs) they're the Jeff Bezos of whatever planet, and they're flying here to spend their money doing something else. If that was the case, I feel like he'd have some backup Predators so that when things did go bad, they step in and be like, okay, that's enough playtime. Well, what's their version of Alexa? Like, <laughs> how does it even know what you're saying? <laughs> God, it apparently has a very humanistic laugh. Yeah. 
Yeah, or it was imitating. I don't know. Imi- exactly. Yeah, it's not an imitating Billy's laughter. They do imitate. That's right. I yeah. Because doesn't doesn't he repeat all the stuff that people he repeats say? some of the things Dutch says in the final fight? Yeah, um, I think it, it repeats um, over here. But um, when Matt gets that scorpion off of Dylan's shoulder, he goes over here. Turn yeah. around. <laughs> does that? Um, and then we also see that in later movies too, where the predator does imitate and release out snippets of voice. Okay. Again, it's evolved its tactics over time. So it's a, it's probably like peak predator at this point. <laughs> but it is a oh, that is a, that is such an intense fight because it almost looks like Dutch is gonna get himself killed. Like he cannot go toe to toe. I mean, he's getting he's getting his ass whooped, destroyed. I thought he was gonna die at one point, but then he crawls, and I'm like, oh wow, the trap's actually gonna work, but. Then you forget how smart the predator is, right? And then he has to. Tr- then he's like, "Oh uh, well, that's not going to work." So I'm just going to drop this log on it. <laughs> Face. <laughs> when in doubt, drop big object. Well, even that didn't kill it. No, no. And he was going to smash its face, and I was like, "Huh? Why don't you smash its face in?" But then, I think that's the hunter in Dutch because you know, Dutch figured out pretty quickly exactly what this thing is and what it's doing. And I think he understood there would be no sport in just smashing its head in with a rock. And it was defeated at that point. I don't think he realized it was wearing a nuclear reactor on its arm. (laughs) Sean, I know you had some thoughts on that. (laughs) (laughs) The nuclear reactor, how Schwarzenegger just runs away, shirtless dives and, you know. The whole forest gets leveled, it. but he's he's there, baby. He survived. He made it. He was no good. radiation, nothing. And so the predator does this to make sure that the humans don't get technology, I guess, because every time the predators fly by the planet, we used to be able to go there. <laughs> till Ed lost his nuclear power plant on his arm, and now all the people can cunt us. <laughs> <laughs> Look what you we did. We don't go there anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Al. Look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> Yeah, posters of don't be like Al. Yeah, exactly. Blow your, know your code. Blow yourself up. Don't be an Al. Like it's like the yard on your street. You know, you just don't go in. Yeah. Earth's just like that to the predators. They just all look yeah. at each other like, should we go to Earth? Oh hell no. Yeah. <laughs> you know what happened last time? <laughs> I'm dead, bro. <laughs> they could have powerpoints classes and i that was what i was thinking though while watching this they should make a movie where it's just the predators like depiction of everything them hunting the humans and then like we hear the drama on their side like mm-hmm. mid hunt his like wife is calling him being like yeah did you get the milk honey he's like i'm trying to murder some people yeah. come on you said you were taking billy with this time <laughs> are you in earth do you remember what happened to Al? He is not, He's your brother. He is not strong enough to rip out spines. All right? I cannot bring the child with me this time. Dad, dad. Jesus. Yeah. I don't want to hunt humans, dad. <laughs> I want to be, I want to do my yeah. art. <laughs> I'm into horticulture. <laughs> he looks at the commando team. None of these skulls are as big as Ted's. Doggone it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm dead. So anything else before, <laughs> before we get into uh, the red shirts? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I don't have any more 
I don't have any big thoughts on Predator at the moment, but uh, yeah, I feel we could talk about Predator for 24 hours, but we've <laughs> probably got to stop at some point. <laughs> you know, uh, I think we can uh, let's get into let's get into our red shirts. So, Phil, well, why don't you lead us off with your pick of red shirt? I think I have an idea of who it's going to be, but why don't you tell us? Well, my red shirt is actually Hopper and his team. I think they fit the definition of red shirt exactly right. They reported somehow to Carl Weathers because he calls them, those were my men on that chopper. And due to bad leadership, they were led into a situation where they were just wasted completely. Oh, so I yeah. feel like they are the the definition of what a red shirt would be in this film. They, and they were red. It was all red. That one was interesting to me. Every now and then I wonder to myself, was it it the gorillas that did this or the predator? Because it's so different from Mm -hmm. the way the predator approaches taking out their team one at a time. He just was like, it must have been his first day on vacation. He went all out. <laughs> he pigged out and then had to take a break. <laughs> he, he, he was Man, I hammered, on predator, <laughs> hammered on Predator Ale and just went full bore on these guys. I ate too much room my first night. I got to take a break. <laughs> first day of vacation, you always splurge a little. Not who I was expecting you to pick, but good okay. choice. It is a good choice. I had the uh, hostage murder. So when they're looking at the village and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you see, you know, like typical movie, they got to show how bad the bad guys are right by now. having to murder someone. So the little, uh, the army, I guess, survivor got shot in the face mm. yeah. by the uh, they, uh, gorilla guy. Yeah, they had they had RoboCop sense of timing there. That's right. <laughs> all the people were here to save her dad. Well, let's just kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so that was me. All right. Good choice. Um. I think in my past viewings of this, I would have picked Poncho as my huh. red shirt. But, you know, in watching it again, I'm going to have to go with Dylan as my red shirt. You know, like I said, like we talked about, a lot of animosity between Dylan and Dutch as the movie kind of unfolds. But then in that moment where Dylan decides he's going to go after Mac and try to back him up, you see a lot of that kind of fall away between the two and Dutch mm-hmm. throw Dylan that extra submachine gun. And even warning him, like, you can't win this. But, like, well, maybe I can get even. But Carl, like, Dylan, even with one of his arms shot off by a plasma cannon, is still going to try and go down swinging. And, I, and I've said before, I've always appreciated a character in a movie like this that can go down swinging. And for me, that was Dylan in this movie. Definitely. And you did almost have the sense that Ponch was going to make it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're thinking there's got to be more than one person that walks out of this. Nope. <laughs> did not make it. He said he could make it. He didn't make it. Punch got annihilated. Didn't they just like toss his body or did his body go flying somewhere? Oh, he got hit by that log first. Yeah, when when they got him in the net and the Predator was panic firing, it hit him and shattered all his ribs, which has to be a great way to try to run 15 miles (laughs) through the forest. And then, yeah, when the Predator caught up with them after chopping up Billy, shot him in the head. Yeah, (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Poor Punch. Poor guy. Got him. Yep. What about, uh, let's move on to our choice of lens flares. Lens flares. Interesting note, actually, when John McTiernan was doing the walkthrough, he has a lens flare in this film. Really? He does not like the pig that Duke kills. He think, Bill Duke, he thinks that the pig looks terrible. And he, when he was watching it, he was like, look, at that doesn't look like any creature I've ever seen. That pig is awful. So very interesting that the director would even have a lens flare within the film. But uh my personal lens flare is 
they Arnold has this bow that he's working on, and when he finally gets the predator close to the fire, and he has that explosive whatever, and he fires it, it looks like he's trying to shoot a shovel off of a bow. <laughs> I mean, it it just drops immediately as it leaves, and it bothers me every time how poor the shot looks, where it's just, it, there is no way that thing had any momentum to no. get to the fire. They And I don't know how they didn't just reshoot it, too. He was shooting arrows through trees. Hey, didn't he have an, couldn't he have an explosive somewhere that he shoots with an arrow to set it off, or something else set up, but that shot to me just looks terrible, and it annoys me every time. I even make up a different way it plays out in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Solid choice. Bothersome, definitely. I will agree with that. Solid choice. What about you, Sean? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, I would say what bothered me the most was the uh, the gun porn. Ah, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Where they just mow down, because I was just like... I understand this is schlocky 80s film, but I was like, man, that's just such a waste of ammunition, and there's no point to it. You know, just, <laughs> we just got to mow it down, baby. So I was just, it just went on really long. Really long. <laughs> it was, it's a long scene. It was kind of humorous because just one guy starts showing up after the other, just looking over, like, oh, you're fine. All right. <laughs> it's like upping the ante. It's like that scene in Pulp Fiction where. Bruce Willis is going through all the weapons in the pawn shop. Yes. <laughs> like Max starts off with his belt fed gun. Then he goes to, like the biggest gun ever made. And like, oh, let's throw some grenades in this. <laughs> no, the grenades. And then the camera even goes up to the barrels. And it's like, look at those rounds being fired off. Yep. Like, oh, that minigun would have been melted by oh. how many rounds he fired off. Oh yes, God, it, it yes. actually would have. Yeah, it would have. Because the melted. saw that we use, you go, you say die, MF or die. Because mm-hmm. that's the how long you hold it. Because if you hold it for any longer than the barrels can overheat right unless it's water cooled like everything's melting yes (laughs) Yes. in post-production the the part where the barrel empty barrel is spinning apparently the editor made that longer as well because he would just use outtakes where they were supposed to start firing and the gun wouldn't go off or things like that so where the gun just keeps spinning he just pasted that together to make that extra long at the end he thought it provided some uh sense of drama to it <laughs> but it, yeah it's a lot of shooting for a long time another example of brilliant sound editing this movie though yeah <laughs> oh absolutely yeah. Um, chris my i mean i touched on this a little bit ago um but i have to say my lens flare is having the only native american <laughs> in your in your squad as somehow the hunter slash tracker of the group yes. like it, it was it was already a tired trope in the 80s when this came out but even when they cast Sunny Land, they were like, "Hey, we can ha- easy tracker. You're our tracker." And then just to have them like almost have like this, almost like a supernatural feeling that something is out there hunting them. Like it's it's a trope that's carried through the series, and I don't mind its transition to other characters. But to have it be the Native American guy, and just like he knows, he senses something is out there. He's our tracker. He he found these empty shell casings. He's able to figure out what boots everybody was wearing. Like how how in the hell do you know any of this? It could have been Mac. They could have trained Hawkins or Poncho, but instead it had to be Billy. <laughs> the eighties were a wonderful time. He does go out on a. He does get a warrior's death in it. So like I so, it's it's not Billy's fault that they just held up the racist tropes at the time so it's not it's not Sonny Landham's fault <laughs> uh, 
Well, I mean, that was what bothered us. But uh, do you guys want to hear about what bothered the Internet? Every time, Chris. <laughs> oh, man. As we always enjoy this week in Toxic Fandom. But uh, this, this entry, I think, is a doozy. So <laughs> as the Predator walks across the wooden bridge that Dutch hides under, his footsteps clearly make the sounds of the solid wooden heels of very normal human shoes. <laughs> What? And that's their problem with this film. That's yeah. That <laughs> I always love the ones that make it sound like, oh, it's so obvious. Didn't the rest of you pick up on it? Predator has hard feet. <laughs> he's very, he's very self conscious about it. It's a seven foot alien hunting a green beret in the jungle of Central America. Suspend some disbelief, yeah. folks. He's <laughs> running around in the forest barefoot. Those got to be hard feet. <laughs> But it's like that. Everything else in the movie was great. But when yep. they got up to there, they're like, ah, this is terrible. Garbage. <laughs> totally unrealistic. I have to let everyone know. <laughs> I loved this movie until that part. Oh, man. <laughs> really? That puts you over. They walked out of the theater. <laughs> I just see someone like, throwing their popcorn. Throw I'm going to remember this for 15 years until they invent the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, man. Uh, Love it. All in all, I think we had a lot of fun talking about Predator, but let's talk about the legacy of the movie. So at the time it came out, it had a rough budget between 15 and $18 million. Uh, gets you a lot of movie back in that day. It made almost $100 million. A lot of money. It was very successful. And, and this is also in the same year that you had movies like Lethal Weapon come out, Fatal Attraction, the Untouchables, Good Morning Vietnam also came out in this year. I think um, She's Having a Baby came out this year, too. A lot of great, fun movies, uh, like movies that have stood the test of time. Like I can't tell you how many times I've watched Lethal Weapon or The Untouchables. There's so many great movies, and Predator I mean, can be put in that list. But I th would it be shocking if I told you guys that reviews were mixed at the time? Wow. For critics, not at all. <laughs> They're always angry. There are people who even called it dull and derivative. <laughs> and like, I, I can understand why, because as we talked about, Aliens came out the year before. So to, and then, like, I get where people were coming from with that. But as we've talked about before, especially in this portion of the show, Roger Ebert comes in and saves the day. He actually called it an effective action movie. He wow. had high praise for this movie. He couldn't understand the Predator's motivations for coming to Earth and, you know, ripping spines out. But, like, he, he actually he enjoyed this movie and had some praise for it. Very nice. Just the Predator wanted to make everyone dead. <laughs> you could say that maybe he saw Deadwood. <laughs> so, apparently, we're going back to our greatest hits of what to piss Chris off with, huh? I don't think you'd say that if you actually tried to watch the show, Sean. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it's but like as we we've, we've been talking about, we've been heaping praise on. I think there's been a lot of contemporary reevaluation re of this movie. It has an 80 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, a 46 on Metacritic, which I can't figure out why. And it has a B plus on cinema score. So a lot of modern audiences are definitely kind of coming around to this. And I think that's because of John McTiernan's legacy. Like you watch Die Hard and you watch The Hunt for Red October. Then you go back to Predator like, wow, he did this for a solid you know four or five years in the 80s making these great action movies and it's consistently ranked uh you know in lists of 
best action movies, best sci-fi movies, best movies of the eighties. And I think it's rightfully deserving of, of that, of those rankings, I think. Yeah. It aged extremely well. Nothing looks dated on it from any special effect that I can think of. It all holds up extremely well. So I think that's part of why it continues to get such attention is it could, it, it looks so good. It could have been filmed recently. Ditto. <laughs> And then, as we've also mentioned, this launched an entire franchise of move of other sequels, which we will certainly cover at some point. Um, video games, comic books, even the crossover series with the Alien franchise that this that served as Sean's introduction to it. Which, again, very sorry that had to happen to you. Uh, and then it even got uh, the prequel Prey that came out recently. Well, probably def- definitely gave new life into this franchise, a movie that we will certainly get to at some point. Um, but I think the 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 hope is high for the Predator franchise. I think this is a you know in a in a science fiction genre that's lacking a classic you know monster you know to kind of latch onto that isn't Godzilla. We need something like this. Yeah, and there's a lot of room to move. And Sean's opened our eyes to you know Seth Green can make a robot chicken version of the Predator family. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> action figures that would be fantastic. <laughs> I'd be down for that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and now I think it's time to get to uh, the the portion of the show we all like. Our rating. What did we... I mean, obviously you've heard our thoughts about Predator, but what rating do we give to Predator? And are using our unique scale on the Force-Fed Sci-Fi podcast of would it watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party. Let's start with our guest, Mr. Phil Harms. What do you rate Predator? I would and do host viewing parties for this film as as often as I can. If I'm hanging out with people and we don't have anything on the TV, I'll I'll just find where Predator is on which streaming service and load it up and let it run. It is so fun to sit there. And like I said, the mythology behind it, you can talk about every scene, what you've heard about happening in the scene or what is really going on, trying to find the scene where Arnold has an IV in his arm or other just crazy stuff, talking about Sonny Landham needing a bodyguard to protect other people from him. And those conversations never get old. And just quotable. You could you could go through an entire day using Predator quotes to communicate everything you need to. <laughs> I like it. What about you, Sean? What do you give to Predator? Oh, uh, this film, it's everything. It's got 80 schlock, but also fantastic filmmaking where it just, like I said, it made me feel such anxiety the last half. I would put this as host of viewing party, without a doubt. Great filmmaking. It's inspired. It's made a franchise. I mean, it's done. People talk about this, you know, and the lore behind it just really, it's incredible. So I love this movie. High regards for me, you know. Nice. And, and you know, for me, like I, I particularly don't like the term desert island movie, but for me, this is a desert island movie. I, I know all the hits of it. I know the lines, and it is just as satisfying and enjoyable to watch every single time I load it up, whether it's on a DVD, Blu-ray, whether I stream it. I love the action. I love the turn it takes after that first act. And to me, this is Pete Schwarzenegger. We didn't. I mean, we probably didn't even mention the fact that he had to cut weight for this. He lost twenty five pounds t- to be in this movie, and he looks fantastic doing what he does best. It's tense. It's exciting. It certainly is corny, as we've talked about. But when it needs to be, 
it is serious for the rest of the ride. And like I said, I could watch this movie over and over and over again. I would never get bored of it. This is a viewing party. I even have viewing parties with Phil with this movie. So like uh, my, my rating wasn't going to be much of a surprise, but like I, if I had one movie to take with me on a desert Island, I, I would have a hard time between pick, picking this or Jurassic park. I really would. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We'll give you a two pack. <laughs> <laughs> Please give me this one. Mercy as you send me to desert islands. <laughs> Yeah. I thought you were going to pick backdraft. <laughs> uh, really? We're just going to all my, all my greatest hits. Whatever. You like that movie too. Shut your mouth. <laughs> oh God. This has been great, man. Um, thank you, Phil, for coming on this, man. This is awesome. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I know this is kind of a special one that we're doing. So I, I really appreciate you guys having me along. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, as as you probably have heard from our last episode, we were originally intended to start Foreign Sci-Fi Month with Sean's Picks, but uh, I think we also talked about in a previous episode, you know, I had some major family trauma go on in the last few months. My uh, my father, Paul Rupp, he passed away a couple of months ago, and I I really wanted our first episode back to be a tribute to him and the love of science fiction that he imbued with me. And this was one of the movies that we watched all the time when I was a kid. This was the first DVD that we had as a family. He came on with a DVD player and Predator in tow, and we watched it all the time. And I love you, Dad. Miss you. Couldn't think of a better way to pay tribute to you. Awesome, man. Nicely said. And I'm Phil. Again, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We're definitely going to have you back. You have an open invitation. Come <laughs> nice. back whatever episode you want to. I will. I will take you up on that. Absolutely. <laughs> you guys have done the groundwork. Now I just kind of swoop in, <laughs> <laughs> just like Batman. <laughs> right out there, past them tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, well, and if you enjoyed this episode of the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast, please, please go on your podcast player of choice and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Force Fed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of the social media. So for all of us at the Force Fed Sci-Fi team and Mr. Phil Harms, we will see you next time.